Hey, welcome to another Bible Thump. I'm Drew Dixon. I'm the chief content nerd at Love Thy Nerd, and we're going to jump right into the Bible and do some thumping here. So this is Mark 2, and I'm going to start in verse 18. Uh, really weird Bible story that uh, I think has caused us a lot of trouble, but it's really beautiful, too. And it's really powerful, I think. There's some powerful, life-giving truth that's found in this story that I think maybe we kind of skip over because it just feels weird or we don't get it. So yeah, let's jump in to, to, to Mark 2. Mark 2.18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. People came and asked him, why do John's disciples and the Pharisees' disciples fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, the wedding guests cannot fast while the groom is with them. Can they? As long as they have the groom with them, they cannot fast. But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast on that day. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth onto an old garment. Otherwise, the new patch pulls away from the old cloth, and a worse tear is made. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost, as well as the skins. No. New wine is put into fresh wineskins. On the Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to make their way, picking some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? He said to them, Have you never read what David and those who were with him did when he was in need and hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests and also gave some to his companions. Then he told them the Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. So then the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. So I want to bring this sort of odd passage down to earth a little bit um, and help us see there's some real beauty here for us that will make our lives better, that will give us better perspective, that will help us connect uh, with who we're made to be and connect with God in a way that maybe we haven't been, or in a way that I think might be freeing for you. This is a passage that actually frees us from some things that oppress us in ways that they don't have to. It frees us from, first, from competing. That's what I hope you see. It frees us from competing with each other to prove how spiritual we are. The people are essentially asking Jesus why he and his disciples aren't as spiritual as these other people. You know, why aren't you as spiritual as the, as the disciples of John? Why aren't you as spiritual as the Pharisees and the disciples of the Pharisees? Now, we just see that the people asked Jesus this question. It doesn't say that this was religious leaders or scribes or the Pharisees or, or anyone like that. It's just people. But it seems clear that they're probably influenced by the religious leaders of Jesus' day. That's a common theme in Mark. And, of course, that was the issue with the Sabbath that would come up later. It was the Pharisees. It was the religious leaders of Jesus' day that take issue with the way Jesus is operating and the way his disciples operated. But they're like, you're not, why aren't you as spiritual as we are? Which is funny because, you know, who, when we think of people who are super spiritual, like who comes to mind first? Like Jesus, right? Jesus is, is right on up there, top five at least, in terms of how we think, how most people think in America, or most people in the world think. When you think of someone who's super spiritual, you're thinking Jesus, right? But even Jesus was accused of not being spiritual enough or not being holy enough. So here's one of the messages of this passage that I think is really clear here. And it's this, it's stop competing. Jesus frees us from the never-ending and fruitless cycle of competing with each other, with competing with other people to prove how good we are and how spiritual we are. Listen, 
when we go to church or to Bible study and we, we talk and we share prayer requests and we answer questions in the Bible study primarily to try and show other people like, I'm just as spiritual as you or maybe even more spiritual than you. When we, we treat each other in such a way that we feel like we have to compete to prove that we're really like a good enough Christian or whatever, like here's what I want to say about that. It's just dumb. That is really dumb behavior. It's not actually spiritual, and you don't have to participate in it. If that's that kind of stuff keeps happening in your life and in in your experience of, of, of Bible study or whatever, because I promise we do things like that. Christians do things like that when we go to small group or whatever it is. Um, we do things like that online. We're constantly posturing ourselves on social media to try and prove, like, look how spiritual I am. Like, look at this picture of... of my coffee cup and my Bible out and my notebook and whatever. Like, I'm not saying if you've done that, that you're, uh, <laughs> that you're prideful and unspiritual. Please don't hear me say that. But what I'm saying is you don't have to compete with anyone else. You don't have to compete to prove how spiritual you are. Jesus loves you, period. He wants a relationship with you. You don't have to prove yourself to anybody else. I'm not saying that relationships aren't important, that we shouldn't listen to each other, that we shouldn't let each other speak into each other's lives. All those things are super important, but we don't have to compete. Jesus didn't. You don't have to either. Second thing I think we see in these passages is that we don't have to fear change. Jesus frees us from the fear of change. This is what Jesus is saying about unshrunk cloth and new wine. He's basically saying like, look, I'm the bridegroom. You, don't, you can't go back to a time when this beautiful, glorious wedding isn't going to take place. You can't go back to a time when, there, when, when this beautiful time of celebration isn't going on because it's happening. I'm here. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the King. He is God coming to earth to claim earth as his own. And he's promising he's going to come and bring renewal. He is going to establish a new heavens and a new earth. He's going to make all things new. Jesus is going to make things better. And we can't go back in time to when things aren't better, to when Jesus wasn't around. We can't go back in time. And of course, I think we read that and we go, why would anyone want to go back? Jesus, why would you want to go back to before Jesus made things better? But listen, um, we all have this fear of change, don't we? Um, in life. Think about it. Um, when things start to change, there's a lot of us that can quickly like sabotage ourselves or sabotage that change, even if we know like deep down this is going to be changed for the better. You move to a new town or, or, or even just have the prospect of moving to a new town like because you're going to get a much better job that's going to provide for your family in some really key ways. And we fear doing it because we're like, well, that means things are going to be different. I won't be in my same area or my same job or, you know, I have to build new relationships, and so we can we can we can really fear those things. Or think about some really good things in our lives. Like I think one that's really common is 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 pregnancy. Like being being pregnant and and giving birth. It's a really good and beautiful thing. But yet, what happens to a lot of women after they give birth is that they experience this feeling of loss um, and experience postpartum depression, even though we know that like having a child is ultimately really, ultimately really good and life-giving and rewarding. Now, please don't hear me say um, that postpartum depression is ever the f- of the women who suffer from it. If you're experiencing symptoms of that, I would highly encourage you to go and get help. Go talk to someone. Um, you're not alone uh, and, and you, you, there's nothing wrong with you. Like you, you, 
should step into the care and help of others around you. Um, but what I am saying is that uh, deep down, I think we know that that the birth of a child is this good and beautiful thing, but it's just hard to step into the change for us sometimes. I mean, this is true of of, of men uh, in, in relationships, uh, of fathers as well, right? Um, there's this fear that your life is going to be different. I've talked to many men who, um, you know, their their wives or or their significant other gives birth. And they step into fatherhood, and they know that's going to mean change, and they can almost become like resentful of their children because it's taking away from what their life used to be. They become jealous of the child's relationship with with its mother, and they become resentful of the child taking away from from all kinds of things that they could have. But deep down, we know that 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 having a child is this really good and life giving thing. And I think that's kind of what's going on with the religious leaders of Jesus' day and with this question about, about fasting, is it's this fear of, of change. Jesus is pointing out, you're worried about things being different now because the Messiah is here. And listen, they are going to be different. Things will never be, be the same. Yes, Jesus brings change, but the type of change he brings is really good. It's renewal. It's not... Uh, change for the worse. It's not change that hinders us. It's change that empowers us and makes us better and makes the world better. Jesus makes all things new. And yes, trusting him will bring change, bring significant change in your life, but it will be good and it will be for the better. The third thing I think we see in this passage is that Jesus is for you. He's for you. The reason Jesus doesn't stop his disciples from picking grain on the Sabbath, right, which the Pharisees identified as a form of work, and right, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. Um, It's the same reason he doesn't make them fast. He is God in human flesh, and he, God in human flesh, was with them. What's the point of the Sabbath? He says the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. His point is that the Sabbath itself is a gift. It was given to us to human beings by God for our good. It's designed for our flourishing. God knew that we would need times where we ceased from producing and ceased from labor and ceased from wearing ourselves out with work so that we could rest and find rest and enjoy the world that he's made for his glory and enjoy him and focus on our relationship with him and with our family and with our friends. He knew that we would need time to unplug and recharge It's a gift. And Jesus is saying the same thing about himself when he talks about him being the bridegroom, right? And when he talks about um, unshrunk cloth and new wine, um, you put new wine in new wineskins because that's going to hold it and it's going to sustain it. Um, Jesus is this bridegroom who's inaugurating, who's bringing in about a great celebration that's going to make uh, us better and the world better. He's going to make the world a better place. So all this points us to this reality that Jesus himself is a gift. He is pro-human flourishing. He's pro-you. He is in your corner. He wants the best for you. He wants you to flourish. He wants you to enjoy him. And that's going to mean change. But it's renewal. It's better He wants you to embrace the renewal that he brings and find true life. He is good. 
He brings change, but it is good. You can trust him. You know what the Pharisees were worried about, right? A lot of what their worries with Jesus were about were things changing. Yes, they were these sort of, in a lot of ways, like religious snobs that were very much engaged in competing with other people to try and prove how holy they were. That stupid game that we need to leave behind. They were very much involved in that. But they were also worried about like losing their influence and power. If we embrace this new wine, and we, if we embrace uh, this this Lord of the Sabbath, right? Does that change my influence and my place in the world? Um, you don't have to worry about that. You can let go of, of your need to be in charge and to be powerful and be influential because Jesus is king. You matter to him. You see that? You don't have to have this tremendous amount of social influence or, or be perceived to be uh, just like you should be to everyone around you. You don't have to be um, good enough or progressive enough or this enough or that enough. You're enough for Jesus. And that, that's what really matters. So embrace him. Jesus is for you. Don't fear change. And let go of this stupid, silly game of competing with others to prove how spiritual you are. Um, you're accepted and loved as you are and invited into a new life that is really, really good news. Thanks for your time. We'll see you next week on our next uh, next Bible Thump. And don't forget uh, something really important. If you didn't listen to anything I said before, please hear me say this. Jesus loves you, nerd. <laughs>